everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. However, we don't have the full usual crew here today. It's a little bit different. I'm your host, Brian Vitale, and joining me today, I've got a couple friends here. I have Adam Vitale. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. Yeah, so Josh is uh, out with some family stuff. And Chow, I assume, is sleeping in or something. He might show up late. He hasn't responded. We will see uh, what is up and if he shows up late. So unlike, yeah, he does that sometimes, which is fine. If it happens, it happens. And unlike every other podcast we've had in the weeks of February and March, uh, it feels like we've been on a deluge of weekly releases. And it's always been clear to talk about this week. We're talking about Elden Ring. And next week, it's Triangle Strategy and then Stranger Paradise. And before that, it was Atelier Sophie 2. And even January was kind of like that as well. I was able to squeeze in Expeditions Rome as a January release and talk about that. And finally, for the first time this calendar year, it seems like things have slowed down a little bit. We finally have like a breather to try to get caught up on our backlogs to try to reach out to the RPG sites, uh, RPG site, RPG game space. Uh, It's been a bit of a quiet week, Uh, maybe a calm before the storm for all the summer announcements that are uh, impending and on their way. So uh, this week, we're just going to kind of revisit some of the games that have come out over the last couple months there is no there is no topic du jour or topic of the week that we have to get to uh pretty much all the games that have been for the the big quarter one releases are out and available and while we do try to cover those as they release we can't obviously play everything the moment they're available so uh this week will probably be a little bit more of a casual chat about what games we're getting to about maybe some games outside of the rpg space we're playing or games we're looking forward to in uh, april may june as those uh, release schedules start to get filled and lined up not to say that it's been completely empty from news uh, there's been a couple things it's just that we look at our outline for our discussions to talk on the podcast and this week might be the uh the shortest of the year so far there's some indie stuff there's a couple preview opportunities that we've had and a few features that i've gone up on rpg site net that we want to talk about uh but just uh just a little bit of a shorter list for this week so to start off, I guess I do want to talk about a couple of reviews that did go up on the site. Might as well just get these uh, listed early in the early in the podcast here. So one game that was released in late—it was either late February or early March, a few weeks ago. You've heard it on the podcast a few times, and that is Relayer. So obviously, our Relayer reviewer Josh is not here today, and you've heard him talk about the game both as a preview opportunity and as he has been able to play the full release uh, last week. While he is not present on the podcast this week, he did write up his formal thoughts on Relayer up on the site. And as Josh is wont to do, he wrote something like 3,000 words on the game, which is like two reviews in one. Usually a typical review for our site is something like 1,500 words, maybe 2,000 words or so. Uh, He wrote twice that much. So if you want to get his final written thoughts on Relayer as kind of a strategy RPG that we don't want to fall through the cracks early in the year, uh, we do have that review up on the site. So go ahead and give that a read or... You can listen to his thoughts on, I think, the previous two episodes of the podcast both have sections for Relayer Talk. Uh, just go ahead and click the timestamp for that if you want to hear his uh, his take on that game. It's also worth mentioning that uh, um, he did criticize some like technical UI quality of life sort of things in the game. Um, and then, of course, as soon as he like publishes his review, um, the Katakawa, the publisher and developer... Uh, released an update that did address a number of those things. Not like game design stuff, but, you know, patching it up here and there. Yeah, he mentioned like some of the UI was unintuitive when trying to look at like the skill trees or things like that. The text would overlap or overflow. So 
and more things design like the, uh, like the uh, movement squares and the enemy like danger squares were like colored weird and were uh, a little bit awkward to look at. So they kind of fixed some things like that. Yeah, and that's always uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast a few times, but that's always kind of the trickiness about reviewing some of those sorts of things where the review is permanent, but the games are not in this day and age. So obviously games like Elden Ring, when I reviewed that, I mentioned the performance issues I've had, but I haven't revisited that game in the last, obviously that released a month ago. And I assume it's in a better state now, but you just kind of don't know for certain how quickly, how efficiently, or if at all, those things will be cleaned up. So his review mentions it as the state that he played it. That's all. That's the best we can do. And it's up on the site. Uh, Another game that, We've talked a little bit on the podcast, but not as much as other of the uh, early spring releases is we do have a review up on the site for Rune Factory 5. So this released in English on uh, last week on the 22nd. We did have Chow talk about it when it released last year in Japan. It released in May of last year uh, for that audience. And he did like he has brought it up in passing a few times on the podcast, but I don't think he's you think he's I think he's revisited it revisited it a little bit for this year, but he got his fill when he played it last year. But for any anyway, uh, Andrea was able to write a review up on the site for Rune Factory Five, and she she is a fan of these styles of games. She likes it, but as Chow had kind of alluded to in the couple times that he's mentioned to talk about it. It seems like the one major drawback of Rune Factory 5 that doesn't seem to have been fixed upon its original release is its performance. Obviously, it's a Switch exclusive for now. It is a 3D entry in the series, and it just does not look like it's had any sort of real polishing pass in terms of how well it performs on that on that console. So, well, apparently it has. So it's one of those things where it's like, man, if this is how it is now, now yeah. what was it like before? But yeah, even even you know Andrea playing the English version, not having any idea what the Japanese version performed like, you know that was something she brought up a lot as like a major downside. This is kind of how it is, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, Andrea mentioned in her review some of the personalities of some of the characters didn't really jive with her. Uh, some of the stuff that's a little bit more, you know personal and it's hard to it's hard to judge that objectively but go ahead and give that review up on the site we don't want that game to fall through the cracks it did just release here i think it released in uh in europe literally like yesterday so very you know hot out of the oven uh hopefully hopefully in more ways than one in terms of both of its performance and it's just a new release to, to kind of round out the end of march in terms of rpg or rpg adjacent releases The one other feature up on the site, which will probably lead into our first lengthy discussion point for this week, is Adam was able to do a preview opportunity for a game that is coming out this year, but we don't quite have a date yet. And I think we talked about this when they announced the year release window a couple weeks ago. I'm talking about Aiden Chronicle Rising. So I'm going to hand this off to Adam because the what this game is is a bit particular. He was able to go hands-on with a preview copy of the game, and I know Adam has uh, especially been interested in Aiden Chronicle, but this is kind of a, a weird entry, uh, Chronicle Rising specifically. So Adam, first of all, you as you tend to do, like give us a little tiny history lesson of what Aiden Chronicle Rising is and what your experience was with uh, the preview opportunity that you had this week for it. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with what Eden Chronicle is, it is a spiritual successor to Suikoden, and in a very legitimate way. So back in 2020, the uh, original creator of Suikoden, Yoshitaka Muramasa, or get his name right. One second. I would correct you, but I do not know. (laughs) 
Yoshitaka Murayama, uh, he, you know, basically spearheaded this um, crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter, and it became one of the most, it was like, the think the biggest in video games that year, surpassed about four and a half million dollars in USD um, for crowdfunding. So clearly people were eager to support a Suikoden spiritual successor. Now that game was Eden Chronicle 100 Heroes. Now that's not what this game I previewed is, is that's not the crowdfunded game. Uh, I previewed Eden Chronicle Rising, and apparently it is pronounced more like Eden, at least that's how they said it in this trailer. Um, but um, th the uh, this is a companion game, and it's like a spin-off. It they say it's like an introduction to this new IP to this world. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily like a prequel or it takes place ahead of time or more more of a side story. But in any case, it's just like a soft introduction to the world before like the main course comes out, if that makes sense. So what Eden Chronicle Hundred Heroes, which is the crowdfunded game, that looks to be a more traditional turn-based RPG in the Suikoden style, where you can recruit. It's called 100 Heroes, so presumably 100 people. Um, some of them are going to be battle people. Some of them are going to be more support units. I'm assuming there's going to be like a base building function and other things that Suikoden was known for in that game. However, Rising is not traditional uh, RPG. It is a side-scroller action RPG. And it's also developed in partnership with uh, Natsume Atari, which we spoke about a couple weeks ago, I believe, um, who have done some similar sorts of things. Uh, so this game is coming out soon. It sounds like, based on what they've posted on Kickstarter, it should be might be very soon, like April or May, but they just haven't nailed it down yet. So what this game is is a side-scroller, and it has three primary characters. The main character is CJ, who is a 16-year-old girl who is a scavenger, and she's basically off on her own, kind of performing like a rite of passage sort of thing for her clan. And she comes across this town of... New Nevea, and this town is kind of like a rundown town that needs a lot of fixing. And this is where like the town building elements come in, where she kind of ends up being sort of this uh, errand girl doing you know various odds and ends for the town. And you do build up like early on in the game an inn, a blacksmith, you know, an armor, and things like that. And how you do this is through this sort of side-scrolling adventure. It kind of reminds me of. Uh, like Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, in a sense, in terms of the, the, the side-scrolling combat aspect of it. However, it's... The thing, the problem with the preview that I played is that it is the very beginning sections of the game. Like I got to play about the first two hours or so. And you can tell, like, at that point in the game, you haven't gotten any, like, combat upgrades, movement upgrades, things like that. So it... it in my preview, just you play kind of very simply, very slowly, and kind of clunky, where all you have as CJ is like an attack, like literally just one attack, like a swing of her. She has like these like climbing axes, like a swing of her climbing axes, a jump, and like a dash, like a quick dash, and that's about it. And it's also, the game also felt like pretty easy and simple, so it's kind of like not very engaging in that sense. But I mentioned before, there are three characters in the game maybe an hour in, uh, a second character joined CJ. His name is Guru, and he is a kangaroo with a gigantic sword, like a great sword. This is pretty typical in the Suikoden games. You sometimes get these just animals, because why not? Um, and 
when he joins the party, but basically how the game works is that the X button on an Xbox controller uh, basically controls CJ's attacks, and then like the Y button controls Guru's attacks. Now, the third character is Aisha, who is a, a, another young woman. She's the acting mayor of the town that you find, and she's a mage, and I assume her button will be like the B button. And Isn't basically, that how uh, Indivisible worked? Uh, no, Indivisible more had like a combat system, like, a, like it actually transitioned to a combat system, and then it would have like a face button assigned to each character, but it okay. wasn't real time. So similar, but not quite the same. So once you get more characters to join you, you basically play as all three simultaneously. So you're running around as CJ, then if you press the Y button to do some kind of great sword attacks with Guru, it literally will just flip to him immediately, and then you're running around as Guru for a bit. Now the prequel, or the demo that I got, I didn't get to get far enough to get Aisha on my team, so I don't really know. She's a mage, so I think she's more long range and things like that. And so it, it gets a little bit more intricate at that point. And the demo that I played also got far enough where I did get a movement upgrade where I could double jump. So luckily that's relatively early in the game to get can, the double can jump. Can every character double jump? Or like if you're playing yes. as Guru, he, okay, so every character can double jump, but I'll still ask my question generically. If you use your attack button to change characters, do they like traverse the world differently? Like Guru yes. jumps higher or, okay. Uh, they traverse the world. I don't know if it's any different. At least in the small portion I got to play, there was no like obvious significant difference. Like, or maybe I just didn't notice it, but there wasn't any time where I like needed to notice it. Okay. Um, and then I also unlocked an ability to basically have a CJ attack twice, like a two-hit combo. You know, which is it's something. So what I'm getting at is, is that unfortunately the demo, the preview that I played, it's kind of the very beginning part of an RPG that seems to have a pretty significant progression as you go through it. So you're like literally judging the game at its most restricted. Uh, so it shows some promise based on the upgrades I saw, but it's also like, well, I can't, I can only judge on what I played now. Uh, so that's the gameplay side of things. Uh, it's a side scroller. You're playing through like these individual, like there's like any Metroidvania type game, these little maps and it has a similar sort of, you know, has a similar sort of maps in the game where you have, you know, separated rooms um, connected by lines on a map that you can judge, um, like, where you are and where you need to go and whatnot. Now, the other part of the game, like I mentioned, there's this light town-building element to it where you find a bunch of loot on these routes, and you can use that to complete quests and to build these new facilities in town. And starting out, the more basic things like a blacksmith, an inn. The inn you can like heal and save in. The blacksmith, of course, you can upgrade your weapons. Um, one so part not about the game only that I, does the early preview kind of limit your combat, um, it just feels like the progression systems also are just now kicking off too. Right. Yeah. And that's that's going to be true for every RPG in some sense where like right. you play a game, the first two hours are going to just play differently than the last two hours, right? Um, for, for most RPGs, because you're, you've progressed through equipment, skills, levels, abilities, and whatnot. So that's just how it is. Now, the part of it, part about my time at the, this preview demo that was kind of most surprising is that I actually think it looks pretty nice for the type of game it is. Uh, so the, the, the world itself is actually like, you know, 3D assets, 3D rendered assets um, with pretty good lighting, pretty good shadows. Uh, there's some movement in the environments in terms of like bushes, trees, flags. Uh, there's also a good bit of depth to the environment. So there's like some some things that are like in the foreground that sort of you know 
pass by as you walk through in this side scroller and then some stuff still far in the background and it makes it feel like like a real like tangible place rather than you know just like a screen on a map if that makes sense i know that's what it is but there's a lot of the 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 environment i think are pretty good for the type of game it is and the lighting and the shadows are pretty impressive um i think as well i expected this game to be like really budget and i'm sure it is to some extent like hey this looks actually not too bad the one part about the presentation that I'm a little bit more iffy on is that it has that, I think I mentioned this in a preview uh, or in a podcast either last week or the week before, is it does have that um, kind of uh, marionette animation style that you see in some 2D games, some mobile games, where rather than like animating motion by having like different drawn you know, character sprites, you instead like take an arm and you kind of like rotate it or stretch it in right they, ways they have one animate movement they have right. one drawing that's like modulated to make movement rather than it's flipping between six running sprites or whatever yep so you know it's understandable and it's not like a deal breaker but it's just kind of like it does make it maybe feel a little cheap i'm hoping it maybe improves as you go on and you maybe get more motions and more movements but i don't know if it will or not the last thing to mention i think is that i thought the uh the localization from what I saw was pretty good. Uh, I have no idea who's like localizing it. I know it's being published by 505 Games. So I don't know if they have like their in-house localizers or if they're like going to go, you know, they've hired some freelance people to do it. I have no idea. I'm sure we'll figure that out when it releases. But I thought it was pretty well done. There, are, There's no voice acting in this game in any language. So uh, a lot of the character personality comes through, you know, their text. And I think it does a pretty good job in terms of, you know, delivering on an accent and not not so overboard like charwit from trials of mana <laughs> but uh but i think it did a pretty good job like having you know i kind of have an idea for like how cj sounds in my head or how guru sounds in my head and the other characters like isha talks a lot more properly because she's the mayor or the acting mayor of the town or cj is a little bit more like uh you know an, an outgoing an outgoing adventurer and things like that. Guru's a mercenary. And I kind of feel like it does a pretty good job giving each character, you know, its own flavor. But otherwise, it is you 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 open the section kind of saying it is sort of in a weird spot because it is like a side story prequel yeah. introduction to the main event. So basically, I've never played Suikoden, but I thought when the Hundred Heroes Kickstarter launched two years ago, whenever it was, that I was like, okay, this is yeah, this looks really neat. This looks like a, you know, like a classically inspired game that kind of like the Kickstarter, like Kickstarter feels like it's lost its luster a little bit, but this is one of those games where it's like, all right, this is something like, this is what it's here for. It's the spiritual successor that the big publishers aren't making anymore. So this looks really exciting. And, you know, if, you know, the Suikoden games are a little bit less accessible now. I mean, they're still on the PSN for the time being, but they're, they're not on PC or anything like that. So, like, all right, this game looks really fun. But then they're like, by the way, Suikoden, or sorry, a it in 100 heroes is due to launch in 2023 but you get this in the meantime like wait what is this i didn't sign up for this it's aiden chronicles rising don't you want this it's like uh i guess so i guess my question for you is right now when i look at aiden chronicles rising it feels just like a like it's, i want to judge it on its own merits but it's like this is a stopgap. this is just like a cheap like gap filler like here enjoy this while we work on the game you really want to play so i guess my question for you is kind of open-ended when you were playing this preview is this a game we should be excited about for 2022 2022 or is this just like almost like a weird an appetizer appetite yeah it's a good word for it uh 
so they did release some gameplay for this, like developer commented led gameplay. Uh, we have it on our site um, for the game, and it's it's so hard to judge these sorts of games at a glance. And like this gameplay was further in the game where the character, the, the player had like access to all three characters and was switching between them. And it seemed like it could be pretty cool, but it's so hard to judge without playing it for yourself. Now, uh, one thing that's sort of interesting in terms of lore is that I've already encountered some dialogue in this game in the demo that I played dealing with like, you know, world building, like the world at large, like they, they mentioned like an empire and then like a faction and things that I, I don't know if they're in Aiden Rising itself or if that's more like flavor text for like, you know, setting it in this Aiden world um, or Eden world. I'm not, I'm not 100% trying to pronounce it. They were saying Eden uh, that like might become, you know, might come to some sort of fruition when 100 Heroes comes out. But it does feel like at the moment it's more just like you're playing this as like a teaser or a taste, even though it's a different style of game. But, you know, I'll, I'll probably end up reviewing it or someone here will. And we'll see if, you know, that side scroller kind of character switching gameplay becomes pretty cool. And if the, uh, you know, the world building, side questing, town building elements of it are, you know, if they can kind of hold their own. Right now, it's just so hard to say off of the short time I played with it. Now I know you mentioned I think in passing like in a, a general chat that we had that they had they've been on the Kickstarter page for this game they've put like a lot of like lore and character bios up there but it just it feels divorced from the game itself and it just seems sort of like you want to experience whatever is yeah they, they've introduced a bunch of characters for Eden Chronicle 100 Heroes and obviously there's going to be 100 of them so there's a lot of characters to introduce but I'm just the sort of person where it's like, I'm not digging through their updates. Like, oh, let me read up on all 100 characters. Like, let me just, you know, I'll experience it when I when I eventually get my hands on the game and see how they're introduced in the game and in the context to which they're written. So that's just my philosophy, really. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, maybe this will help segue us to what, what I've been playing this week. Is I've been... Um... I remember they did a, a similar thing with Triangle Strategy where they gave, like, obviously that game doesn't have 100 characters, but, like, bios and names for all of them and all their artwork. And to me, like, I, that was a game I was really interested in, and I'm I'm about 15 hours into it now, maybe more than halfway through the story. But, like, I do not care to read character bios. And even, like, the um, Soul Hackers 2 media, I think in the last couple of weeks we got another PV2 from Japan or whatever. But, like, I'm already interested in the concept. The characters that I've seen on the trailer look kind of cool, and, like, fun and but i don't really care to know exactly like what motivates them according to their a paragraph under their key right. art on a, on a website or on a kickstarter update or whatever like I'll let me experience what it is in game um yep. especially if there's a hundred of them and obviously only certain ones are going to be uh important it does yeah, usually wonder, how sweet it in works usually how sweet it in works is that you usually have like a cast of let's just say a dozen roughly that are like truly important characters that like actually push the narrative along. And then you have, you know, a bunch of like supporting units that maybe have like a more of a surface level personality or, or something like that, that maybe are like kind of cool, cool, quirky characters at a glance, but not actually like substantially, you know, contributing to the plot. And I assume hundred heroes will be like that too. Yep. So like I kind of said at the outset, this game is slated for release in 2022, but we don't have a window yet, like not even a quarter or a month, as far as I can tell. So I'm I think it's guessing supposed to be spring. 
So. Okay, so I'm guessing it'll... Okay, spring is... I mean, we're, the first day of spring was literally in the last week, so we are in spring. That would be within the next three months. Uh, April and May are a little bit quiet, and which is actually kind of good because I need to get back Thank to Thank God. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I want to finish Triangle Strategy. I want to get to Stranger Paradise. Also, another game I want to make sure it doesn't go uh, ignored is at the end of March is Weird West, which just kind of looks like a quirky little uh, like isometric Western RPG that I want to make time for. And it's like, all right, early April, April 7th is the Chrono Cross remaster. There's also that King Arthur uh, technical game that I'm vaguely interested in in late April. But it's just like, all right, a- uh, April and May, that's going to be the backlog time or the... Uh, you know, the time where you play your non-RPG or you get back to your uh, your multiplayer game that you've been putting off or for me, getting ready for Sunbreak later in the summer. Uh, yeah, so, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm probably going like, to get caught up on uh, Rise on PC next month. I, I remember uh, I, I was able to put like an hour into it, but then I got sucked into Expeditions Rome and then sucked into Elden Ring and then sucked into the Guild Wars expansion and I never made a time to go back. So not enough hours in the day. I Transition- guess as they... Uh, 14 player it's like oh no it's not just the backlog month right because there's the uh isn't the next patch on april 19th something like that uh, no i don't think i don't think they dated it usually it's um like what people are assuming is it's going to be the 12th because of like like the timing in the past because i think the next live letter is the first mm-hmm. yeah pattern recognition and while we're transitioning topics here i will want to introduce that guess who woke up we were able to get a chow with us so welcome chow min chow min woo oh sorry guys i was no problem trying trying to edit a guide you're working on your um uh was it a character guide for a triangle or was it a rune factory guide it was a rune factory guide all right this one last map make sure everything's done uh, I guess I'll just I'll just poke at that because why not? Uh, how has your time been with the uh, English release of Rune Factory? I know you played it back when it released in Japan last May, and you were kind of lukewarm on it, and you talked about it on this podcast. But I'm, has I'm your opinion shifted at all? I'm still lukewarm about it. I don't think the transition to 3D is too good. Um, but you know, it, it got its charms. Uh, it's still got it's still got like good gameplay from 4. If you like 4, you, you'll you probably like it. I just don't feel like it's transition to 3D is too good with its technical issues. Uh, you could sort of fix it a little by turning the dynamic scaling resolution off in-game, in but it's not like a total fix. Um, other things are like, it's just kind of a little short. It just kind of like suddenly ends. In my opinion, it's just like, oh, just did this and that, and then it's over. But I don't know. I, I still prefer four and free, even free. I, I still think free is probably my favorite because it's very simple and straightforward. And it wasn't like before the days where games got a little too complicated. And I think yeah, that's, I that. yeah, I think that's the biggest charm. Um, but yeah, that's what I think about five. Um, what is the other thing that I find it's kind of funny? Uh, the exploits and bugs are still from the English version. I mean, from the Japanese version, you could still do it. So I think that's uh, give, good. Give me an example of an exploit. Uh, for example, uh, there's a character you can recruit to your party. Uh, her name is uh, L.O.J. She's like the project uh, chef of this restaurant. And there's this bug that you could do in the Japanese version. I wouldn't call it a bug, but how you're when you get injured, your friends will throw you food, right? Okay. Or something to heal your health. And since she's a master chef, 
she sometimes will throw this curry that's worth five hundred thousand dollars. And what you do is you dodge her curry and you pick it up from the floor and you sell it for five hundred thousand dollars, and you're a millionaire like right at the beginning of the game. I works. I love. I actually really like that. Where it's not like a bug, but it's more just like. It's, it's not a, it's not really a bug or an exploit. It's just like more like manipulating systems that are deliberately in the game. But it's kind yeah, of fun. that's like the fun, funniest way to get rich. I hope that doesn't ruin the game for everyone that needs money. And now it's like, oh, I'm super rich. Now I, I don't play right, the game got, fair anymore. All right, you got your pro tip. If you've listened to the podcast this far, you know how to become a, a billionaire in Rune Factory 5. But yeah, we talked about yeah. earlier in the podcast before you came on that uh, Andrea put up her review on it. And I know that in her review, she also covered a lot of the technical issues as well as some characters where she didn't, she thought that there was a few standouts, but a lot of them she was kind of whelmed by. Yeah. So like, I think the character is a lot funnier in four. They have like a ton of interactions that are, I don't know how they got through the rating board because there were a lot of innuendos. I, (laughs) there wasn't that much in this one. Um, But the more innuendos, the better the character. Yeah, some of them are funny. In the original, I mean, in four, they were like super funny. Like, there's one character when you talk to her mom and you ask her, "It's like, what do you think of your daughter?" And she's like, "Oh, she was an accident." I'm like, "Damn." Uh, (laughs) Okay. It's like they don't do stuff like that in in five. Um, A lot of characters are like really one noted. Um, Like, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. More more tame compared to four. Let's just say that. Does it have an extensive, like, I think you mentioned in passing when you were working on the guide for this that it had a lot of post-game stuff. You mentioned the game itself was kind of short, but is that just, like, the main story, or is that in, like, in- inclusive of everything is, after the credits? The main story is pretty short. Um, after you beat the main story, then you can actually get married in this game, because that's one of the requirements. Wait, um, you can't you can't get married until you after can't. you beat the main game? Yeah. That's because one of the, some of the events don't pop in until you beat the main story, right? Because the character's like story arc is now resolved, and now they can get through this part and and get married, right? Hey, Man, now that, here's a question: uh, This game's like final third isn't locked behind RNG, right? No, no RNG, no RNG in this game. Oh, I thank God! You. Oh, thank like, God! It's not stupid as four, where it's like, oh yeah, it's like you want to trigger the next story event. Um, wait for this event to spawn, and uh, sometimes it might take RNG. You- RNG <laughs> took me about 40 hours of resetting the game to get to spawn when I played the Japanese version. Nice idea. Christ. Christ. Not a good idea. But anyways, and no RNG in this game. Uh, there is town events from the original game. I mean, from 4. But how it works in this game is that if you meet the conditions, those events will pop in the screen no matter what. And, it's, and if you go near the event, the event will trigger uh, the only problem with these town events in this version is that if some events, like let's just say the last event takes place in a hill for this character, and the other character also takes place in a hill, uh, you automatically start the other character's event without your permission. Oh, so you're trying to plan out what you want to do, but you're kind of at the mercy of location and where what might trigger, basically. It, over- right? it overlaps, you know, uh. because you. So that's also a problem. It's like, uh, I, I don't know what you would call that. Just a little oversight, I guess. But it's not that big of an issue compared to for where you're waiting for the event to trigger. After playing, I know it's a, a kind of a different style game, but hearing about this game, then we, we uh, played, you know, Legends Arceus back in January. Like, what do credits even mean anymore? Apparently, like so many games, 
the credits are kind of like the minimum viable like okay you've you've beat the game technically but we've hidden so much stuff past this point where you, there's so much more left to see and a lot of games like I'm, i forget if you talked about on the podcast james or if you or if it was in a, in a separate chat about how the brilliant diamond shining pearl arceus event required you to have complete com, uh, complete pokedex in legends arceus which is all post-game stuff yep so it's one of those things where it's what are those what do those credits even mean anymore because you're not you're not done yet and we've also seen that in like dragon quest 11 you know i'm not saying it's a new phenomenon it just seems like it's more prevalent nowadays at least in from my from my perspective i agree generally which 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 generally i actually kind of like I'm not, I'm not bagging on it. Like for Legends Arceus, for instance, um, I beat the credits, but I was still feeling the game a pretty, you know, I was enjoying the game. I liked Legends Arceus. Uh, and I did like half of the post game. I did all the stuff with uh, uh, Giratina up at the, whatever that was at the, at the temple. And, but then I, when it got to the point where it's like, now complete the Pokedex, that's where like, ah, I've had my fill, I'm done. Where if that happened before the credits, I might've been more, like oh, I gotta slog through this, and I might have like a lower opinion of the game. You know what I mean? Like the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, this if is he optional. had to get through the Pokedex to get the credits, yeah, had to in air quotes here, where it's like, man, I couldn't even finish. I was bored. Where it's like, no, I did technically finish because they like just shunted the credits forward in the game. So I don't know. I actually kind of <laughs> like it, even though you know that's completely arbitrary. You can just stop playing right. whenever your enjoyment stops, and your opinion shouldn't be determinant on where those were slotted. But anyways, I'm getting on a tangent. I get here. you though. Uh, the question is, if you're playing a Harvest Moon or Open End Farming Center, when do you exactly say that you're you're over for the game? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you can play as much as you want, so you just ask yourself, when is it over for you? I well, haven't played it, a Farming Sim, so I don't really know. Well, the thing that I do know is that some of the older uh, Harvest Moon slash Soraya seasons, you could have a kid, and then eventually the kid could take over. So it's like, is that just like an infinite loop? <laughs> it's like just like real life i don't know <laughs> huh no i haven't played most of the newer games i i know i played the original the game ends in like three years in the original if i remember i mean you could ask like when are you done playing animal crossing are people still playing animal crossing i'm sure there's some people who have been religiously playing that daily since it came out man this conversation is just reminding me about this thing i found out about like a few years back where you know how like it used to be for the really old Harvest Moons that you would have, well, that there would be like a separate like uh, version for if you wanted to play as a dude or as a chick. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, one of the Game Boy ones in Japan, if you got the uh, ch the uh, chick one, as soon as you got married, the game ended. But if you got the uh, version that came out for the play as a dude you'd be able to keep playing after you got married and the dude uh, came first. That sounds kind of sexist. There. Yeah. That not uh, at the very, not great optics at the very least. But uh, in this game, how it goes, if you do have a child, uh, the game automatically fast forward like five years later. Uh, the only problem with this mechanic is that there's some child characters in the, in the town. They don't grow up either. That's the problem. I wish they, they actually aged them up as well. Oh, so, so, so like, like it's more of a gameplay skips. mechanic thing. Yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. feels like they should have, like, accounted for that. <laughs> yeah. They, they just wanted your child to be, like, a speaking toddler rather than an infant. So, like, okay, we'll skip ahead five years. Yeah, it makes sense. But now it's like, hey, you're still a kid, <laughs> you know. It'll be like watching a new Dragon Ball episode 
uh, a super how Trunks and and Goten are still looks like a kid. Yeah, in they're, they're, they're like, like they're like thirteen, fourteen, and they still look five or six. Yeah, that, that's the kind of like the issue. I I, th- I hope they resolve that in the next kind of game. Uh, well, there's uh, another thing that I want to mention that story wise, apparently this game takes place about forty to fifty years after Rune Factory Four. Uh, some character dialogues that you can get from a safe file from Rune Factory Four, from cameos from there. I know mention it's been several decades since Four, so. But only if you have a save file from Four. Yeah, because they don't show up in your town if you don't have a save file from Four. I, I kind of like that. That's that's kind of a nice little connection bonus where you don't feel obligated to play them in order, but it's like here's a little bonus if you happen to have played it. So the game that I've been mostly playing in the last week is uh, I started it and I mentioned my opinion of it in either last week or the week before, but I finally put, like I mentioned a bit ago, some significant time into triangle strategy. Last time I kind of really bagged down on the scales of conviction mechanics. I won't repeat that here. Um, So I'm mostly just going to be thinking about like the characters and the plot and like the delivery of that plot and, and the gameplay itself. Outside of the scales of a conviction mechanic feeling very... I don't know. It pulls me out of the game. It's it doesn't feel like a real storytelling mechanic. It feels like this is a video game. You are playing a video game. Do you remember you're playing a video game? This isn't a real story. This is just a video game, which I know is a bit silly, but something about the scales of conviction mechanic puts that in my mindset. Uh, So I'm trying to like divorce my opinion from how much I really don't gel with just how that all works. But I'm at the point where basically you're trying to determine, and of course, my decisions might, like the story that I'm experiencing might be different based on the decisions that I've made, but I'm at the point where you're trying to determine how you're going to deal with Hyzant and their response to Ace Frost's takeover of Glenbrook. Basically, how you're dealing with the third, there's three nations here, obviously Triangle Strategy, dealing with the the third party, the, the desert kingdom. And as part of it, they have a basically uh, almost like a slave population of the Rosellans, basically people that they treat as subhuman for reasons that their ancestors carried out in the past. And it's very, very like in your face about how grim it is almost into the fact that it almost feels like comedic where they have these slaves working in a salt mine and one of them is like tired and needs a drink of water so they just kill her or him i forget and it just seems like jesus christ like it it almost goes too hard where i'm almost pulled out of the moment in terms of like do you feel bad about this yet this is really bad you better feel you better feel bad about this i get i get it like look how evil they are or this yeah and like i think it would have been enough and maybe even more effective if they just refused to give this slave any water sort of thing but instead they just kill her She's like, she just fucking dies. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then later, one of the choices you have to make is whether you deliver the Rosellans to back to Heisen, like, like some fugitives, or you defend them. And I, th- I think uh, Cullen was talking about this. He's the one who reviewed it for us back a, a couple of weeks back about how some of the decisions you can make are effectively like war crimes and how they give like this really shoddy benedict is kind of the the character proxy for this decision making it's like well sometimes you got to do what you got to do like after showing this and like hammering it into your head about how evil and bad and how terrible you should feel about this you're like well maybe this is the only way and it just feels like i don't like that the game presents two options i feel like the game would be at its best and it was earlier where the two options seem like equally morally viable, or at least within the same ballpark, where one might feel a little bit more like cutthroat 
and the other might feel a little bit more idealistic but the optics weren't there for this for this particular choice we're just like this this choice really felt like not even paradigm be good or bad yeah i was like do you yeah. want to be a good person or a bad person and i just kind of felt like this was the one choice you'd, you'd rather like, you'd rather there might be like some concession you'd have to make on either choice rather mm-hmm. than like be evil or not on the gameplay uh front i think that game now that i i mentioned that i did enjoy that level of challenge that was present earlier in the game and the game even on normal difficulty is not a cakewalk it's i've played plenty of strategy rpgs i'm not really having any difficulty but it's not boring enough or shallow enough that i'm bored did you use the fire trap in that one chapter oh no i didn't uh and i on that chapter i try to get through chapters losing no units like fire emblem style but obviously there is no um iron iron man or permadeath or whatever so apparently if you use the fire trap you can't get the golden route ending so well i remember uh back when i played the demo obviously that's chapter seven, I believe. And which chapter seven you get to depends on the choice you make at the end of chapter six. And the demo, I actually talked about this on a podcast. Probably, you can probably like scale back almost exactly a year. And I thought that that was really impressive, that the you have a completely different environment based on the choices you make. And on top of that, the dialogue that you get in that chapter where you're defending against um, Alvora depends on whether or not you use the traps. But... Unfortunately, it feels like that that's kind of very specific to that chapter. I was really hoping that the game would be like dotted or lined with not only the the choices you make specific to the scales of conviction, which are very much like, do you realize you're making a choice now? You're making a choice now. This is a branching path right here. You're at the fork, almost too deliberate. Or I was hoping there'd be more like almost incidental choices where it's like this chapter asked you to flee the area and get all your units to this part of the map. Did you flee or did you just wipe out the enemy? Or if a chapter asks you to defeat the boss, like did you defeat the boss early or late in the in the battle? Something like that, where you have like almost incidental choices that you'd make that would affect the outcome as well. And the fire traps, whether or not you decide to use them, was kind of exactly that. And I was excited about that. Unfortunately, as far as I can tell, it seems like that those sorts of decisions are pretty rare, if not only that literally just that one chapter, which I feel like is a missed opportunity. Um, I will say, though, one thing that is kind of neat is I recently did a chapter where you end up fighting a constable from Ace Frost. I forget his name. Sfari? Not Sfarag, but the um, the constable. I don't remember his name. And I had met him earlier and had he had been um, working with a, a fugitive who was trying to get pardoned, uh, one of the Archer characters. You can tell I play these games more like mechanically and less for the story because I can't even name the characters. Like I, I know the constable and the archer and all their. I know what they do in battle, but I don't remember their names. Uh, Rufus. I, yeah, I get that. Uh, not Rufus. Starts with R. I don't remember. Um, but I brought I brought them to battle and they had like a cool little dialogue moment and that's something that like Fire Emblem does as well. If you bring like a character to fight against a boss in a chapter and they have like some sort of personal history, they have some extra dialogue, uh, which I think is cool. And Svarog the. Uh, like the high-ranking official of Esfrost had dialogue with Frederica, who obviously is from there. So that's kind of cool. Like I'm enjoying some of that, but I just I wish they did more. Maybe I'm being greedy, but I think it would have been really cool to like really tie those interactions in. And like if you bring this character to this chapter, almost like Fire Emblem style, you might be able to recruit them on your team or turn them away or change the outcome of the battle. But right now it just seems like mostly for flavor, which is still good. I still enjoy that a lot. The fact that they the the, the chapter will play out slightly differently narratively depending on who you bring to it, which I think is fun and cool. And actually I want I do want to applaud that. 
So I'm looking forward to um, seeing how the game ends. I am kind of being a little bit cheeky and being like, all right, the game has been out for a few weeks now. People on different websites have determined how the game is set up and what the uh, what the golden route path is. And I did kind of talk about how I, I really kind of wished... I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a hypocrite and I'm not too like out of myself to like not admit that. I wish this game didn't have a golden route. I wish it was set up more like three houses where there are multiple outcomes and you could you live with the choices that you make and you there deal with that. There is a golden route. But it's there is one. New game. And, and it's called that in game, right? And it's just I I kind of wish it didn't. So I should I should hold to my scruples and just be like I don't care what they say the golden route is. I'm going to make choices, but I guess I'm too feeble or, or feeble-minded or something or I'm not I'm not hardened enough i only intend on playing this game once at least for the time being because i want to get to stranger of paradise because i want to play uh weird west when it comes out or or even get back to monster hunter so i kind of justified it by saying like well if i'm only gonna play it once in the meantime i want to get the golden route (laughs) so uh i ended up like looking up like all right what are the correct choices to make and i know that's Probably looking like a bad look to admit that, but hey, it's true, and I'm just being honest. Uh, but one one thing that was kind of fun about that is that you have to make a choice, I believe, in chapter nine, to basically go along with an evil salt like smuggling scheme. And in order to convince your party to do that, you have to have a high utility conviction, which is usually the sort of conviction that is like the least ethical the most no nonsense the most the least idealistic the most like war sucks deal with it sort of mindset so i didn't have very many utility points at all and the person that i needed to convince like the game basically said like you don't have enough conviction you will not be able to convince this person however i learned by like scouring the reddit and things like that like hey you can get utility conviction points by a using your quietuses in battle because that's like utility b using like the recommended characters picking up items or even like selling items to shops. I guess the idea is, is that you value the currency more than you do the item because the currency has more utility or whatever. So I literally like just no life to this game for an evening doing like one of the random battles, making sure to use all my quietuses, making sure to pick up all the items and then like using the money to like buy out the shops and then immediately sell all the items that I just bought just to rank up my utility also i could just go to the correct golden route because the game identifies it as a golden route so i'm still having fun but i kind of looked at that and like almost ashamed of myself like brian why are you like this why couldn't you just like make the choice that you know let let the game direct what you where you're going based on the choices you make rather than like looking at this like some sort of rubric that has to be correct but anyways that's that is what i did I guess because I brought it I up don't know last... to that. Well, just... I'm sorry. It's I'm I'm ashamed of myself. I'm I'm listening back to myself, and I'm like, oh jeez, I'm I'm a bad person. I don't know. Um, I will say though that while since since I did mention it just then, I do kind of wish that like the random battles work differently. So there are there are obviously the story chapters, pretty much one battle per chapter. I think some of them might squeeze two in, but usually if a chapter has multiple parts, those additional parts are just decision making or story scenes and not a battle in itself i'm not sure if that's true for every chapter though i'd have to double check before saying that as an absolute but the the random battles are literally just selected from a menu from the encampment it's like oh now i can do now i can take on the level 13 random battle which is a fight on a bridge or on a boat now oh i got farther in the story now i can take on the level 15 random battle and i think i have like eight or nine to choose from right now I kind of wish it was a little bit more varied in terms of like 
maybe it could take place in different locations or they appeared on the world map randomly and you could choose to run into them. Like I'm thinking like Final Fantasy Tactics advanced style where you'd have like an enemy sprite on the map that would move around that you could choose to run into or something. The, it just see, feels tactics a little... Ogre and t- tactics Ogre, I know, was... And I think... I don't remember the original Final Fantasy Tactics, but it was just like you had a chance when you crossed the map to run into a random battle. Right, it was, it was almost... It location. Was, it, was, it was almost just like borrowing the idea from random battles in a traditional JRPG. Right. Uh, but here tactics is- Ogre. I was going to say, Tactics Ogre, uh, there was a way to level with characters where you have your own character fight against themselves. And they just don't die, but that's what I remember from that game, at least on the Super uh, Nintendo. I do remember, like, in ta- in Triangle Strategy, you can't target your allies with, like, attacks, which I think is probably good, because I know that you can kind of cheese that in some of the other tactics games, where you're like, alright, I'm just gonna have my units attack each other to level up. You can still kind of be, like, really cheesy and, like, use Benedict to buff a unit that doesn't need to be buffed just to get a level up or heal heal a unit that's only taken one HP damage just to give them the XP. So you can still kind of be real cheeky with it, uh, which I think is good and fine. Um, I just wish, I guess, long story short, I just wish the the random battles was implemented differently. I still enjoy them. Like I I, I enjoy like figuring out how to clear them efficiently and using the uh, the progression systems in this game, both with the like the class progression and the weapon progression. Uh, are fun. I'm enjoying them, and I really like when I when I complete a battle and I see that I get both silver and oak or whatever, which are some of like the at least where I'm at, some of the higher tier materials used to upgrade weapons. Like I actually am kind of like, oh, finally I can upgrade that, or finally I got some more quality limp, uh, uh, quality tinder, so I can I can use that to upgrade something. Like I, I'm enjoying the progression systems in this game, uh, and I'm enjoying using the random battles to like farm those items or whatever. So it's it's a it's a bit of a grind, but not. Not enough to be demoralizing. It's enough to actually feel like finally I got this got this ability for my assassin character. So I, I want to use that next time I use her in battle and things like that. So I'm enjoying uh despite my nit- my nitpicks with like some of the contrivances with the story and some of the limitations of the random battles. I do want to be clear that I'm enjoying uh I'm enjoying the game a lot. And I, I usually have an affinity for these like tactical strategy RPGs. So I'm not surprised. Uh but it's it is definitely a good game. Uh, I, I think I listed it as my most anticipated for the year, and I, th- I think I enjoyed Elden Ring more, but that's almost like apples and tomatoes, just completely different sorts of experiences. But I do believe that Triangle Strategy, I will be kind of vouching as a, a top 10 or top 5 for the year. Uh, but of course, it's early in the year, so who knows if I'll still feel that way in September, October. So that's all that I had, and I know that Adam was able to talk about uh, Aiden Chronicles Rising, obviously, and then we got Chow as a surprise, kind of ad hoc, uh, able to chat about Rune Factory 5. So before we move on to the the slight news section here, I will hand it off just to James, just to see uh, what you have been playing this week. I know that you've been playing a little bit of the new Kirby game, which is a little bit out of our purview, but I think you've also been playing Tunic. You brought it up, I believe, yeah. last week in the podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Brian, hmm? Brian. Yeah. I'll have what you know do? that Kirby is an RPG, a oh, really pink guy. Oh, I see. <laughs> but all uh, all things uh, uh, seriously. Um, yeah, I played Tunic. Uh, I've been looking forward to this game for quite a while. Um, I remember playing it at uh, the Indie Mix at like during E3 2016 or 2017, somewhere around then. It's It's been a while since they announced it. It's It's one of those indie games where it's like, I believe most of it was a single person. I, I 
And it had a Definitely. really cool vertical slice, like circa 2017 or whatever. And we're like, oh, that looks neat. And then we just didn't see it for a while. Or we saw it in like indie montages over the next couple of years. It's like, oh, I guess that game's still being worked on. So, yeah, uh, I guess the best uh, game to kind of compare it to is, ironically enough, Death Store, which is funny because you had another like uh, another isometric Zelda like with higher action RPG elements uh, being showcased by Microsoft. And it can't. It's like an Xbox exclusive, at least for now. It's kind of interesting that like that happened two years in a row. It's like. Is Tunic um, Xbox exclusive? Uh, Xbox and PC for now. All right. And it was a day one Game Pass launch, which is uh, how I ended up playing it. Um, not too much to say about it, because a lot of the uh, enjoyment comes from puzzles, which I don't really want to. Uh, I don't want to spoil them because there's it. One of the things that's really neat about the game is it has this mechanic where there's an in-game manual that's like shaped like well presented like a, an original NES manual, but you don't have it all from the start. Just, but instead, like littered throughout the game world, you'll find these pages, which you add to the manual. And there's like little bits and hints in the manual. And some of them, there's like things that have been written in the margins. One of the interesting things about the game is that it uses a fictional language, which you can t- you can decode. People have figured out how to decode it, but there's nothing in the game that specifically tells you what each um, letter means or what each word means. So it's a lot of context clues. So you see something a lot and you see like a picture next to it and it's like, oh, it's got to got to mean that. And as you because of the way the um, the manual works, there's aspects of the game that you probably won't know about until later, but once you get the manual page, once you get that information, it's like, oh, it's not a power-up. It's something I always could do. It's just not something that I would have thought to do. Like, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler, is there's a mechanic where you can use the D-pad to activate these, like, little codes or, like, input these little commands. And there's many, many places in the overworld and in different parts of the levels where you can actually, well, not really levels, but different sections of the world where you can input these commands using the D-pad for puzzles and also for some other things. And it's actually kind of hilarious how convoluted some of some of these button inputs can be because like the penultimate challenge, which I will spoil this because just getting to it is like, whole another um, story so in order to get the true ending once you get all of the uh, pages for the instruction manual there is a specific page that um has like i want to say it's like a six by six grid or something with um a, each square having a page number and you have to go to those pages and within that page there will be something on that page that looks like a button input or not a button input, but like something square shaped that looks like something being traced like a path. And what you're supposed to do, I didn't do this because I, once I figure out what you, what you had to do, I just looked up the completed uh, input. But what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to like put 
like take a screenshot or write down what that what the shape of that input looks like and p- overlay it on that um, page's square in the grid. And then once you have every single one of those uh, squares lined up, that's the direction you need to kind of press the D-pad in for the entire input. It ends up being like a 100 like input massive password just to open a single door and the make matters worse you can't just like you can't really do it slowly because if you take more than like a second between inputs it just breaks the chain you have to start from the beginning oh i was gonna ask you like couldn't you just look this up once one person figured it out and it sounds like you did and i don't blame you at all but i was wondering like what the developers could have maybe made it like randomized or made it like unique based on your game file and really oh no 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 no. because it was definitely like it was like aspects of the artwork in the manual that were that were manually decided upon and whatnot it's a really really cool system and overall i had a great time with it uh special shout outs to the soundtrack uh i think i've i probably haven't mentioned this on the podcast uh, podcast before because i've never really had a reason to but um, one of my favorite indie games of all time was uh, Dust Force. And okay. the composer for... Hmm? I just said, okay, Dust Force. And the composer for it, Life Formed, was also the one behind the soundtrack for Tunic. So it's been a long, long time since he did a proper uh, soundtrack. And it's just like, man, like Tunic's soundtrack is like a an 80 track or something like a lot. massive massive soundtrack like I, he he uploaded the full playlist to his youtube and it's like over three hours worth of music and this is like a 10 hour indie game and it's like oh man that's a lot of music yeah it is it's it's always um, kind of fun when you see like I, me- I remember feeling similarly when i was like playing bug fables and it's like wait a minute this soundtrack's amazing <laughs> or things like that so it's always cool to see like these uh like the, the sort of things that you weren't expecting on these indie games about stuff that's you know as good as the big budget stuff as good as the shimamuras and then anything else um one thing i want to mention uh sort of similar to this like you know what james was saying about once you figure out how to do something um even though you could always do it like you can unlock like he was saying like you'd almost break the game like on a second playthrough perhaps you could you would already know like the tricks to how to like access places earlier to do things earlier than you maybe would have figured them out naturally. Um, that kind of reminds me of Unsighted, which is an indie game I played last year. Uh, how that game worked was you would uh, you would get a bunch of uh, materials. And then like later in the game, you would get blueprints that tell you how to put materials together. And one like big example is you get the blueprint for the hookshot late in the game that tells you how to make it. But if you already know how to make it, you can make that right away in the game and then basically like sequence break. Um, like there's, you would only the only way you would know how to make it is if you cheated, uh, or if you just really blind luck, I guess. But it's the sort of thing that um, I believe the way that they put it was like for uh, you know replays, things like that. It's kind of a fun way to you know. I actually do. I think it's actually really cool. It's, it's it's like a new game plus sort of thing. Only not like now we're allowing you to do this. It's more like now we've taught you to do this. Rather than that, so it's a, it's a little bit like more. It feels like a little bit more empowering, I guess. That might be where we're going to put it. That's what it reminded me of, anyway. 
And well, one thing, the other thing that James mentioned is the um, the in-game language that it doesn't just like deliberately give you a glossary or a dictionary, but you just have to use context clues and like your exposure to it to learn what it means. Uh, Very different sort of game, I imagine. But I remember uh, Greedfall was a bit like that with the language that the natives use. There's a couple times where they tell you explicitly what these words mean, but usually they don't. And they say, all right, the player, you've got You've got a brain up there, right? You can figure out what, what we're saying. And uh, I think it's actually kind of even when you're playing games that are in fantasy universes where people are speaking multiple languages, I don't always need the other languages to be um, translated for me. Because like if I'm in a a store or a bar or a mall in like a place and people are speaking multiple languages, I'm not going to understand everything that's being said around me. But sometimes games feel like they have to subtitle it because otherwise the player won't know what's being said but like i think it's okay to have that in in not all the time of course but like in moderation because i think it just makes the worlds feel a little bit more believable and real but i'm getting on a tangent here again so i guess with those uh we were each able to kind of go through the games that we've been playing uh i guess one before we move on to news james i just do want to hear your short opinion on the on this new kirby game even though even though it's a bit of a tangent i figure why not how are you enjoying kirby uh, so I finished up both the base game and the post game last night. I guess post game would have been early this morning. And uh, I am going to grind up and tackle the uh, final arena battles uh, uh, later today. It is probably my favorite Kirby game. And I've been playing not all of them, but most of them since I was a kid. It is really, really impressive how well they managed to make the jump to 3D. Like, and when I, you say uh, when you say jump to 3D, I'm a little bit confused, or I was. Uh, you cleared it up for me a little bit yesterday because I haven't played a lot of Kirby games. But when I heard you saying that earlier, I'm like, wait, hasn't Kirby been 3D before? Yeah, no. Um, so Kirby's always well. Kirby for the longest time has been one of those series where it's like it's 2.5D. It's like it's 3D on a 2D plane, and there's like stuff in the foreground and background that may or may not have an impact on what you can do. In fact, that was one of the gimmicks that the two 3DS Kirby games or the main 3DS Kirby games had. Uh, there was also like a few mini games and I believe triple deluxe. I'm not sure if any of those levels were also in Robobot, uh, which had an isometric view, which was more properly 3D, but it was just like a mini game and a full Kirby game and not a Kirby game in and of itself. So I do think it's kind of weird because I'll, I do think some of those triple deluxe mini games got more fleshed out versions on like the 30s shop. <laughs> So there might have technically been a full 3D Kirby game based off of the mini game in Triple Deluxe or Robobot. I forget which one had that, but this is the first proper 3D Kirby game. And with that, we'll go into the news section of this podcast. And this is uh, this might be a little bit brief, so we're probably most of the way through already. Uh, not a lot for this week. We did get a lot of indie news for this week, and a lot of these games we kind of highlighted on. Uh, previous episodes of the podcast, for for instance, a recent release is Anno Mutationum, which is a game that I know a few of us have been playing through. And we might put up a review on the site, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's getting a physical release thanks to limited run games. We've also got a few more trailers for some other if- upcoming indie games. Uh, so there's, those are up all on the site. But there's just honestly a lot to go through. And if we did, we'd just be rattling off a bunch of proper nouns and a bunch of dates that are kind of like up in the air. But those are all up on the site. And uh, thank you, Adam, for being able to sleuth all of those out and get those all covered. We want to make sure we give them their due. 
as for the main news for this week, the big one is it's kind of weird because this is this is clearly the headliner, but I'm also not sure that it's that we have a lot to talk about at this point in time. And that is this is that CD Projekt has announced a new entry in the Witcher series, a new Witcher saga. And this has been announced with basically a newsletter post of a few paragraphs alongside one, basically, it's not even concept art, one teaser image of the wolf medallion half buried in snow. Now, I guess it's a lynx medallion. Oh, it's a lynx. So yeah, the, the different, um, uh, the different Witcher like clans. So it's been, it's been a while since I've played the Witcher games, but, uh, as a tangent, I did start reading the last wish, which is the, uh, not the first book written, but the first book in the suggested reading order maybe i'll make sure to try to read through the series before this game comes out but anyways obviously uh there's some details that go alongside this announcement one of the main ones is is that this game is being developed in a partnership with epic games being developed using unreal engine 5 which is a bit of a departure because witcher 2 and 3 and um cyberpunk were developed with an in-house red engine so obviously for this new entry they are being transitioned over to unreal engine and while we could speculate about why that is, um, it likely has to do with the fact that, you know, Unreal Engine is easier to get trained on and, you know, is a little bit more ubiquitous across developers and doesn't need to be bespoke to CD product development. Maybe they notice some difficulties and complications with developing Cyberpunk. It's hard to say, but this, of course, led to some speculation like, oh, no, The Witcher 4 is going to be exclusive to Epic store uh, a few developers on twitter at cd project did try to clarify that some of the things that weren't announced is that they did not announce witcher 4 and they did not announce a any sort of exclusivity all that we know of is that this is a new entry in the witcher saga being developed using unreal engine 5 so that's kind of that's kind of where we're at go ahead adam it sounds partially like a uh you know like a, almost like a recruitment you know pitch yeah. which you know these companies do sometimes like hey we're working on the witcher 5 we're working with unreal engine do you want to join us um i like you said you the know, witcher 5 despair. i know what you meant but like oh <laughs> yeah witcher 4 unreal 5 you, you know but it's I mean. not but it's okay. not witcher 4 it's we don't sure. know what it is like we don't know if it's gonna be the siri game that everyone seems to want that would be like a safe pick uh, it'd be interesting to see if it's just like a completely original story based on the witcher universe and not borrowed from the books uh it's exciting, but it also seems like it's it's exciting. It's a usual place for yeah, it's exciting. Now we know what CD Projekt is working on after Cyberpunk. But it's, it's also worth mentioning that Cyberpunk was originally announced in 2012, yeah, and it released in 2020, late 2020. You could argue that maybe it shouldn't have released in 2020 and needed longer. So it's very possible that it might be a long time before like this is actually a tangible thing we can be playing. So. And speaking of cyberpunk, at the very bottom of this, uh, they did announce that Red Engine is still being used to develop an upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 expansion. So it sounds like they have a team basically working on continuous updates for Cyberpunk. And now, obviously, we're, we don't know how long they've been working on this, but it seems like the majority of their effort, I won't say majority, that's assuming, that some of their effort is partitioned to work on the new Witcher saga, which I guess I'm not surprised because the Witcher is what kind of put them on the map. And obviously, CD Projekt also does own GOG. So regardless of it, like, this was never going to be exclusive because it was always going to show up on GOG. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's exciting, but it's also kind of too far out to really be like, all right, I know, we'll revisit this. And once you have more to show than this, uh, than the teaser image. But still, it's kind of cool to know that that's what they're working on. Just Yeah, it's sort of similar principle. when like Bethesda says we're working on Elder Scrolls. 
Um, you know, it's like, okay, we know they're working on it. It's not, it's going to be a long time before we see it, but like, there's no mystery in terms of what is, what is Bethesda doing? So I'm trying to see if there's any other real details to pull out of this press release, but it really was only just a couple paragraphs. I I think in one of the more like financial statements, they did like declare that like the unreal Epic games partnership was 15 years or something Hmm. like that. Um, yeah, so it's it's not a typical licensing arrangement. It seems like it's a more yeah. bespoke collaborative partnership with Epic rather than just licensing out Unreal Engine 5. So I guess that probably what that means is that it's likely CD Projekt will be working with Unreal Engine 5 going forward. Don't know if Cyberpunk will be the last hurrah for Red Engine. But I don't know. It's not like that was a really good showcase for technical proficiency anyway. So maybe that's not too bad of a thing. But yeah, we'll see. The other semi-major piece of news, and this would be something that Josh would be able to talk to, but maybe uh, maybe Chow can a little bit as well. Uh, and this is for Dragalia Lost. Dragalia Lost will have its final story update, and I guess chapter 26, and then the story update will be in July, and then the service will close soon afterwards at an unspecified date. So Dragalia Lost is shutting down. And this game originally released in 2018, obviously developed by Psy Games and published by Nintendo. I am not the sort of person that plays these sorts of games, but even I, when this game was released, I mean, Psy Games was kind of like the, I guess, mobile pub- mobile developer at the time with the Grand Blue Fantasy. And to get a project that would be published and supported by Nintendo, I remember just people saying like, Dragali Lost was going to get its Smash representative or, or things like that. Like it was going to be the thing. And just it seemingly never really was. So I don't know, well, Chow, if you've played this at all. I played this quite hardcore when the game first came out. Then oh, okay. I dropped it because, you know, the game had issues. And they tried to have, like, all these free stuff to get people back. And the game got even more convoluted and more toxic as time goes by. And I just don't play it altogether. Um, there is a community that swears by this game. But there is a lot of issues with it. And I can see that it was closing... Like from miles away, there was the monetization problems because it was too generous to a fault. Uh, what was the other problem? Uh, when the game first started, it was good, but the problem was there was how the gotcha mechanic works was that you pull three different things you pulled a character, uh, a dragon, and then there was a card. A card which is called a worm print, which will give you a little tiny bonus to your character for a little piece of artwork that you don't really get to see in combat. But uh, was it best reference would be in Fate Grand Order? You pulled the uh, was it like the artifact or the was it the noble something? I don't remember. But anyways, it, it you is would not... you would know. I would not know. But anyways, you pull that thing, that thing will ruin your pity. Because this game has the mixture of two pity systems. It has the pity system from Grand Blue and Fire Emblem Heroes. The more you roll, the higher your pity goes. And you pulled one of these cards, it will ruin your pity. And now you don't have a chance to get your SSR character because something just ruined your pity. right? And that... That burned a lot of people hard when the game first started. So they'll be like, oh, it's like, I don't want the firm, firm print. And people will be like, oh, but you got to have the room print. It's still good. But yeah, but I want the character, right? Uh, the dragon's okay. The dragon, because the dragon is like in, in Grand Blue, you equip a summon and you have bonus stats from the dragon you equipped. 
in Dragalia Lost is kind of like the same system. You equip the dragon, and that will give you your bonus stats, and and that will determine what what your character is capable of and what they can transform into during combat. Um, but yeah, the monetization killed the fan base in or the gotcha system killed like half the fan base when the game first started. And then afterwards, they try to get their uh, what is it? They try to get their fans back by removing the cards from their gotcha pool, and now you can just earn it through the story. Um, the other are you problem, are you going like, to go back to finish the story before uh, before it shuts down? No, the story is okay, good. You, you'll watch it on YouTube. Yes, I'll watch it. On, wait, actually, I think I have to play it because uh, this game is very stingy with its copyright license because. Uh, if you back then, YouTubers used to make content for this game, and they always get flagged by either Nintendo or Side Games because of the music, or because they were using the something else. Because the music was in the when the game first started, it was it was uh, most of the song was from uh, a singer named Dalco, and she makes a lot of good songs for this game. And and as time went by, it's like even her music's not in it. But you always get like copyright strikes from. From like maybe the music industry from from her label or something, but people just don't even upload content for it anymore. Well, I remember people that. used to like me might be not quite the right word, but the the like the home screen music. I remember it was being like it was like this cute chanting or whatever, and people would like overlay like SpongeBob or other stuff to it. I remember people thought we're having a good time with it. Like, I, I yeah, remember, the music's I, fantastic. I remember when this game came out, not being my sort of game. It still felt like it like. I was aware of its presence. Like I saw people playing it and sharing about it for about six months, and then it just kind of fell off. It just kind of fell. Can like, I say I it is? A, I don't know. This might this might hurt Josh and James. It's a portable oh, Lost Ark. Have you played Lost Ark? If they were if they were listening, it is like a portable Lost Ark gameplay wise. You have raid mechanics. You got uh, what, just like how you get like a point and click combat. You know, I would say it's like a portable Lost Ark. It's nothing like that, Chow. Don't don't <laughs> lie to the people like that. I used to play this game. I don't. No, we can ask people about it. I, I, I'm sure someone would find that comparison. Yeah. But, so, I, and I, and I remember when we tweeted about this. Uh, Adam shared the news post. There was a lot of quote tweets. A lot of people kind of saying, like, seeming like genuinely bummed out. So it kind of felt. It kind of felt like the potential was there, but just not ever really fully utilized or fully reached. I think what happened was mostly greed. Um, basically, uh, the company side games want this to be their grand blue number two. So they were hoping that they can kill off grand blue and make this their money milker. And because it wasn't successful, they had to go back to grand blue again. So, you know, as they were, there was a lot of borrow stuff from grand blue, the grind system from it. They took all the bad things from grand blue, I mean, (laughs) from grand blue into this game. So, yeah, like. It got way too grindy when the game came back, and all the weapon system was like super convoluted. You had to grind like millions of different weapons in order to get the strongest weapon. It's like, yeah, you have the materials to make the strongest weapon already, but we won't let you do that. You have to do all this prerequisite of getting the junk weapons from way prior in order to forge the strongest weapon, and that was like super convoluted, and no one know how to do it. We had to like watch a guide and. Nobody wants to watch a guide before they want to get something started. Yeah, so the final update, like I said, it'll be on uh, what I say, July twenty sixth, and then it'll shut down. The shutdown date is not specified, other than that'll be somewhat after that. I also so forgot to mention that the director for for the game got 
um, I'm not sure it's fired or he just stepped down because he made some remarks to fake grand order saying bad things about them. And there was also a lawsuit from a game that was similar to them in Japan called the Shio Neko project. So it had a lot of controversy in Japan. So it never won the player base in Japan. So oh, that that yeah, that might've, that might've contributed. Yeah. And the other problem was the game was also not released everywhere all at once. I mean, in Canada, it was released like five months late and I already made it US account, so I don't want to switch my stuff over. Yeah, I remember that it came out in the US first and like it took forever for them to even confirm Europe, Canada, and other places. It was kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I could see this game shutting down like miles away and I was expecting it. And But I'm glad they were able to finish the story, so... Only two other pieces of news that we have listed here. Um, kind of smaller stuff. Godfall. Remember Godfall? It was like the, the one of the launch games for this, for this gen. Uh, the Ultimate Edition will release on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC on April 7th. Oh my god, Godfall's coming to Xbox! <laughs> What's the context <laughs> of that? It was a PlayStation PC exclusive. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll I was be a lot sarcastic. Yeah, so this the, is the first Xbox version. Oh, okay, so it was on PS4 and 5, but now it's getting the Ultimate Edition. Again, on PlayStation, but also on Xbox and PC. So Ultimate Edition like gathers the Lightbringer and Fire and Darkness expansions. So if you liked Godfall, leave a comment and tell us what we're missing. Uh, there's a couple other release dates that are uh, nested in some of the news for this. Like For instance, um, we, got, we got some more trailers for 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim because that Switch release is slated to release on uh, April 12th. So if you've been waiting on 13 Sentinels, you're only a couple weeks away for that on Switch. Uh, there's some of these um, other indie games that we talked about have some release windows coming up, like early access for Demio for PC. Uh, we've got uh, Kowloon High School Chronicle. Obviously, this released uh, last year. Uh, it released last year for Switch, and now for, it came yeah. out again. For I, was get, I was getting to it, but I was slowing down to make sure I got everything right. It released last year for Switch in February, in, in the US anyway, but now it's releasing on PlayStation this year on March 26th. So another another March release for a game just jumping to a new console. Uh, we did get, and this is something that I'll talk about, and just because it's something I'm interested in, is obviously I talked very briefly last month about the release of the new Guild Wars 2 expansion, End of Dragons. Now, it's been, I think, three weeks since launch, and ArenaNet has basically announced two things. They've announced that uh, End of Dragons has outsold their previous expansion, Path of Fire, which I think is good because it shows the game, despite the, the delay between expansions, is not dwindling. It's at least holding a steady player base. And they've announced that they are working on a fourth expansion without any details other than the fact that they are working on it. Now, the reason why that that is interesting is because that has not been the tack that ArenaNet has ever taken before. They've always been trying to do things like kind of in an honestly like an oddball way. Uh, back when the game first launched, they never really said whether or not they were working on an, ex an expansion. They would always work on these seasons and seasons are kind of like just their, their naming for their packaging of live updates. They would just call them seasons, whatever. And, but people were like, well, is this game ever going to get an expansion or is it just seasons forever? Then at the end of season two, they kind of surprised everyone with a trailer and said, haha, we're working on an expansion, our first one. So it was kind of like there was no excitement for it. It was it was excitement, you know, excitement for people who have been keeping up with the game, but it was almost kind of like hidden. And then they sort of did the same thing with the second expansion where they kind of said, 
I think they announced it in April, in August, and released it in September of 2016. They'd be like, by the way, we're working on this. Enjoy it. Like trying to t- trying to get that like Sega Saturn Shadow Drop excitement, even though I don't know if that works anymore. So this is the first time they've really said like, yes, we're working on something. We're not going to try to like reinvent the wheel. Uh, every other online game sees success, but being consistent and almost like regular with their updates and their cadence of, of release and support. And I guess Arena ten years in is finally like learning that that's the best way to do it. So they've announced some of their details for what they're planning for this year's season to be, but also talking that, yes, it's not going to be seasons forever. We're going to lead into another expansion. A lot of people were assuming that this one might be the last one for the game. So as someone who currently plays the game, it's exciting to know that there's something to look forward to. And we're not just going to be like dwindling into whatever their next project is because they haven't had success actually releasing any of those. So I think that this is good news just for the health of the game. That's pretty much, I guess, all and I And kind of like we were it. saying with The Witcher, it's just, you know, even if it takes years, we know, like, okay, they're working on an expansion. Well, you, you never want to go to a party when it's, it's dwindling down. Like, I could talk about all of the things that I like about Guild Wars 2, but if there's nothing on the horizon, it's going to be almost impossible to tell someone to try it out because they're like, oh, it's already been there, done that. The fact that it has, like, you know, stuff is upcoming and, you know, you, there it does it has a future, the party's not over. I don't know. It's it's just good for the health of the game. And I, I think I've, I've personally seen. Oh, yeah. I guess one other thing I will need to mention is that they've already announced that they're planning to release on Steam, but they kind of put it on the back burner probably to get the expansion out. And they basically said, like, yes, we're committing to releasing on Steam this year. Before we do that, we want to make sure that we get our DirectX 11 support in. We want to make sure that we look through and revise like the early game experience, because a lot of the early game stuff is, you know, circa 2012, 2013 design and in my opinion, the studio's gotten better since then, so they kind of want to touch it up. So when people pl- if people jump in on this game once it releases on Steam, what they're playing is modern and contemporary and not like, oh, put up with it. This was released 10 years ago. Deal with it. So the, the fact that they're doing that, kind of like taking a more, um, almost like a, there is a paradox. Whoever develops Stellaris, I've heard that they have a team of developers called Custodians. And they're basically, their whole job is not to release new new content or expansions or anything like that all they do is look at old content and make sure that it's up to par that it's congruent with what what the game is now that it doesn't feel like you're playing like some sort of anthology of the game as as it was years ago and i kind of feel like more live service games should do that so when you're playing older content that it doesn't feel antiquated that it feels like it's up to the standard of the, of the current version of the game rather than being like oh gotta slog through heaven sword now but i guess even even uh, square enix has made sure to touch up how that expansion feels to play through in the modern era so ArenaNet is finally taking that approach as well, which I think is cool. Even though I guess right now it's all promises and it's words, not action. So hopefully over the the year we'll see what they're managing to do uh, with that sort of uh, approach in mind. And that's the only real news bits that I had set up to highlight. So I guess, Adam, since you're the one that covers the news for our site primarily, was there anything else uh, that was detailed this week that that you think we skipped over or that you don't want to fall through the cracks? There was a the only the first thing that comes to mind was there was a side scroller kind of Metroidvania type artsy game called Soldiers. Um, it's like soldier only soul as in like your soul. Uh, I was soldiers. wondering why you said it so slowly, like soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's coming out for basically all the every platform in May, and you play as like a, a knight or a caster or an archer. I thought it looked you know it looked pretty cool. Like I have no idea if the game itself is any good. But like, but you know, when I'm when I'm digging through these indie RPGs 
RPG like games to post about. Like, oh, this looks kind of neat. So, all right, take if, a look uh, at Rich. Yeah. So if you uh, if you wanted to, we kind of glanced over a lot of the NG uh, trailers from this week. If you want to look at just one, go to our uh, website rpgsite.net. Go to the search bar, type "soldiers" s o u l d i e r s, and go watch the trailer for that. And I guess uh, while we're in the kind of the wrap up mode, while you're on RPG site, you can click the Discord link at the top of the homepage to go to our Discord channel at rpg uh, discord.gg slash rpg site. We've also got links up there to our social media presences on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and Instagram. Up on the site, we also do have those features that I mentioned early in the podcast, the Relayer Review, um, the Adam's Iodin Chronicles Preview, Rune Factory 5, as well as some of the reviews that are not that old, the Triangle Strategy and like uh, Stranger Paradise are all up there on the site, as well as other stuff from early in the year, like Pixel Remaster. And then uh, I think that covers everything. We'll be back next week for another edition of the TetraCast. Maybe we'll get Josh back. We'll talk about other games that we're getting to as we go into April. Uh, looking forward to, obviously, the Chrono Cross remaster. I'm planning on playing that for the first time. Uh, hopefully, we'll get around to trying some other games that have currently not been able to be addressed. Like I'm thinking like Elex 2 and like Weird West is coming out in less than a week and things like that. And you'll hear from us next week. So until then, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you later.